welcome to the Races IndyCar podcast. My name is Jack Benyon, American editor at The Race. And as ever, I am joined by the Batman to my Robin, J.R. Hildebrand, as we look back on the big machine spiked coolers Grand Prix at the Indianapolis road course. That one just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, maybe we could do a segment in the pod on some of the more bizarre race names we've heard over the years, except I think J.R. and I would be the only ones who'd actually listen to that podcast. Um, JR, later in today's show, we have one of the young stars of IndyCar, Pato Award, joining us for an interview. Uh, to remove the spoken mirrors of the podcast, we've done that already, and it was hopefully you know, worth uh, tuning in for, and it gave us lots of kind of uh, insight into how the uh, season's been going for Aaron McLaren SP. And yeah, awesome. Just, I was going to say, it's just awesome to listen to him chat about it and, uh, and get a few minutes with him, for sure. Yeah, and it gives us a good idea of kind of what he and the team are expecting for the the final run-in for the last four races now, which uh, is going to be, uh, I think, a very close championship fight that we're all really looking forward to. But before we move on to talking about that, we should probably do our quick report of what happened in the race at the weekend. So, um, yeah, Pato Award was on pole, so he's a good person to have on the podcast this week. But he began to fall back quite early on um, in the first stops, basically. He tried to go a little bit longer than everybody else, kind of similar tactic that Roman Grosjean used a little bit earlier in the year that didn't kind of work out, but they kind of had to bail on that longer run uh, quite early on when they weren't getting the tire life. And uh, Pato was jumped by Will Power in that first stop. And then Colton Herter and Roman Grosjean also let past him in the second round of stops as well. So Power emerged with a, a nine second lead after that second stop, but he caught Herter's teammate, James Hinchcliffe on track. Uh, Power felt James was kind of backing him up on purpose and uh, took another swipe at IndyCar's lack of blue flags rule in, in the process there. Uh, in the last stops, Herter took more time out of power and got the gap down to about 3.6 seconds, but Grosjean was the big gainer who got right on Herter's tail at that point. O'Ward was just behind and under pressure from Alex Pillow, the championship leader, but then Alex retired with engine trouble, which brought out a caution where Roman Grosjean was able to jump past Colin Herter. Another caution period followed, but Grosjean had no push to pass left because he'd used it earlier to clear traffic. So uh, a good move all around on, on his behalf, but it just meant that he was a bit blunt when it came to fighting willpower for the for the victory at the end. JR, how do you feel about how IndyCar kind of treats the car staying on the lead lap and, and the leader? It's kind of relatively unusual outside the States in terms of the, the rules here. Um, obviously, there's benefits and sort of drawbacks to it. You know, what's your kind of opinion on this one? And do you think Will was kind of you know, within his rights to, to bring this up again and kind of hammer home, you know, even though he's won the race, he still spent a large point, you know, portion of the press conference afterwards criticizing this rule and saying that it shouldn't be the case, even though he'd won the race anyway. So, you know, what, what's your kind of opinion as a driver about it? What's, what's your take? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a couple of times in some various situations, actually at the Indy road course early this year, because Grosjean was stuck in traffic for a bunch of the race with lapped cars. And I think my, my general point of view here, and this is partially from my own experience and, and in part just watching these races, the way that they go down, in addition to watching F1 and, and other places where they do it quite a bit differently, like you said, I mean, blue flags come out at the very beginning of the race. If you're just, if you're a lapped car, that's slow in, in any respect, you're, it's like a command blue flag. I think in the IndyCar series, my personal point of view is that once you get to the final stint of the race, then a lapped car or cars that are getting ready to go a lap down should just be getting command blue flags if the leader is catching up to them. And, and maybe there's some nuance to that, like if it's for a certain number of laps or if you're within some certain, if you're within a second or a second and a half or something. But 
as, as drivers and teams. And I think the sanctioning body understands this, that there is a point, there is a, there is a gap within which you're just getting an error, the arrow effect from the car in front of you in the IndyCar series. We don't have DRS. You don't want to have guys having to use push to pass just to get by lapped cars. Uh, so I think at that stage, I'm, I'm totally okay with lapped car or cars tr- being able, being allowed to fight, to stay on the lead lap until they, until we get into the final stint of the race, like after everybody's made their final pit stops, this was not a strategic event from that perspective. And usually by that point in the race, it's not so, okay. What's, what's the worst that's going to happen for Hinch if the the he's hoping for well let's say we throw out the possibility that he's there blocking for colton herda we'll just ignore that like let's say they're not teammates this happens all the time that you get guys that are about to go a lap down sort of holding up the leader okay the worst that happens is he gets a blue flag and they he goes a lap down and then yellow comes out I it's, it's very rare if ever that there's a situation I feel like where somebody's just in that position because they got screwed up or something in earlier in the race. And there, if they get that, if they, if they get that yellow and they haven't gotten the blue flag and they stay in the lead lap, like, I don't think James Hinchless was going to go blowing by a bunch of cars on a restart from the back. And, and that's rarely the case, you know, like it's, it's, it's just, it just doesn't really work that way. So for me, these situations, they come up a little bit too frequently now because the field is so tight and because race wins matter so much that we, we just need a little bit of an adjustment for this, I feel like. And I, I honestly think if you got all the drivers in a room together and had a discussion about this, that alone, you'd probably come out of the other side of that with a reasonable adjustment to this rule that would not turn it into a ton of command blue flags throughout the race or something really extreme in terms of a difference to what it is right now. Um, but I feel where, I mean, I feel Will's pain. My, the best chance I had for a race win in 2017 was at Iowa. We pitted early because we were only really good in clean air that race at that time with the super high downforce cars, it was just like a one lane track. Uh, you know, you couldn't run the bottom through one and two and still be fast. So you, everybody was up on the higher line. Um, we were, we could run both lines high and low on both ends of the track for like 15 laps, basically at the beginning of a stint or 10 laps or something. So I was running a whatever third or something. We, we knew we had the fastest car. Like we knew we had a car to win, um, pitted early, went out, ripped a ton of laps, got into the, you know, cycled into the lead, got stuck behind Alexander Rossi, who had come out of the pits on fresh tires in front of us. The Hondas weren't as good as the Chevys were in terms of aero efficiency with those kits. But at that point I was 10 or 15 laps in on a set of tires. So I just didn't quite have, I couldn't run both lines. And so I'm stuck behind Rossi. He was like eighth or we had lapped up to eighth or ninth or something in that race. And it's not, I'm not getting on Alexander's case or, or anything else, but it just became one of those situations that it's like, okay, like the cars are downforce dependent and we're on like a one lane track. Road courses are all just one lane tracks. 
I battled him super hard to try to get by, like got alongside of him a couple of times and just couldn't stick it. Cause I couldn't hold the bottom, the, the low line through the track and ended up just stuck there, got caught by Elio Castro Neves and got past. And cause you get, just get, we're all getting jammed up now behind a bunch of slow cars. And it's just kind of like, okay, like, this is just a lousy way to lose a race. You know, like if, if, if I was just going to get caught on pace or get totally outfoxed somehow, that would be one thing. And, you know, whatever, we had chosen a slightly different strategic thing that left me a little bit of a, you know, in a little bit of, uh, you know, with a little bit of vulnerability at the end of the race. But um, it, 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 it oftentimes just ends up leaving the guys that are running up somebody up at the front of the pack pissed off about the way that the races ended up transpiring that's clearly how will was out at the end of the race and i totally don't blame him so i think i guess my perspective would be that there are some ways not to fundamentally change the rules of indycar and fix this i think i think the emotion element of it is something really important to pick up on and something that i, I kind of reflect on quite well because you know i've not experienced the lows of yeah, a blue flag costing me or, or the lack of a blue flag costing me a race, which obviously you and Will Power both have. So I, I kind of look at it as it, may, it kind of makes things exciting and it definitely made the end of that race more exciting for, for, for the kind of, kind of general viewer. So it's another one of those rules where it's going to upset some people, it's going to upset some drivers, but it creates a, a good spectacle. So you kind of have to, you know, weigh that up. You know, do you want to potentially make the spectacle a little bit less entertaining for the sake of willpower not shouting at you every time it happens? Or, you know, it's it's a difficult one. But I, I just thought that was a a really important race of willpower, and it felt like uh, I don't want to say like a seminal moment or, or kind of make too much of it, but it was a big big moment for him to win a race because obviously he hadn't this year, and it was Penske's second win after after New Garden. It's been a difficult season for for Penske in general, trying to just trying to get to the front and, and, and actually get a win across the line. It's, and it, it's almost even worse when it's not because of a lack of pace. You know, we had Will basically cost the win at Detroit and, you know, Joseph had three or four wins kind of taken away from him in, in various different, for various different things. So I think that makes it more difficult from a, a Penske point of view, but just from Will Powers kind of post-race press conference, it, it really hit home how much of a kind of personal journey the last 12 months have been for him because he, you know, he basically said, you know, speed has never been a problem in my career, you know, up until this year where he's not yet got a pole. And for someone who's nailed like 2.2 average starts and 2.8 average starts across a 16 race season, you know, no one's ever questioning Will Power's rural speed or, or, or qualifying ability, but he has questioned his own because, you know, he's found himself making mistakes or, or, or doing little things wrong. Because yeah, it just hasn't been there. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, like he used uh, Nashville as an example where he backed off from a lap that, he said, you know, maybe a year or two ago, he would have carried on, but backed it off knowing that he was out of the top six at that point, And he was, it was going to cost him a, you know, a spot in the fast six at, at Nashville because Newgarden crashed and that took power out because he hadn't set the lap. And if he'd have carried on with a the lap, there's a good chance he might have made it through just little things like that, that, you know, he's just questioning himself a little bit or not quite, maybe not driving as much on instinct as he has before questioning, you know, because of the difficulty of the season. You only really need to look at the 500 as a perfect example of how difficult the season's been for power, you know, fight, you know, I think twice in his career, he's qualified outside of the top 10 in the Indy 500 and found himself in bump day 
you know, that, that is going to have a profound effect on, on any driver when it comes to the 500. So it's been a really difficult year for him and really interesting kind of comments. And if you want to read a little bit more about those comments that he made after the race, you know, a little bit more about that journey that he's had across this season, you can go to the race's website where unfortunately it is written by me, but if you uh, persevere with a boring writing, then you might actually get to some decent stuff from, from willpower there. If you can put up with Jack on this podcast, you can probably put up with him in, in text. So go have a look at it. Zero for two. <laughs> so obviously Alex Pillow was the biggest loser in today in, you know, in the race over this weekend. Uh, if the race had, fi- if, the, if the race had finished just before he had retired, he would have extended his points lead to 50 points, but now it's 21. And, and for that matter, he would have extended his points lead over everybody everybody else in the top five. So this was looking to be kind of one of those events that was like, okay, he's, he's just making it more and more difficult by doing the things that he's done throughout the course of this year, basically by just hammering through results, even, even when he's not, you know, it's not apparent whether he's the fastest guy or, or whatever. Um, you know, this obviously completely changes things. Um, I mean, what's your take on, you probably, you maybe have more insight on this. I didn't really end up talking to anybody about it after the race, but what's your perspective on what's going on with his engine situation? They obviously did an engine change and he got penalized for it going into Nashville. And then, you know, he has one expire here. We, we assume, um, what do you make of that scenario in particular and his title chances going forward from here? Well, you get four engines in a pool across the season, don't you? So the, the, the big kind of issue was they had a bit of problem in pre-season testing with an engine. And then obviously the Indy 500 crash in qualifying took another engine out of the mix as well. So he's kind of lifed two engines and then started to hit some some real problems with having to take extra ones. So you mentioned Nashville obviously had to have an extra engine there after a test at Portland where he had some engine trouble there. So that was the kind of uh, that was the reason for the penalty at Nashville. Yeah, so Honda is still kind of evaluating where the engine's at and whether it, you know the, the engine from last weekend from from Indianapolis is is savable. But if he does have to take another engine, that will be another penalty, and that will mean that it'll be a nine place grid penalty because it's a, an oval at Gateway. So it's it's a six place grid drop for road courses and street courses and a nine place grid drop for Gateway. So if he does have to take another engine, it's going to be a big deal for him, you know, being immediately nine places back on the grid at, at Gateway. So that's going to be, you know, something for him to fight against. And, you know, he has had a pretty fortunate, not, I don't want to say he's had a fortunate season in the sense that, you know, he's deserved pretty much every point he's had, but he hasn't had many points taken away from him. So um, you could look at, you know, any one of the other, you know, kind of four title contenders that are around him and say, they've lost quite a lot of points from, from various things that weren't really their fault. And last weekend was Alex's properly first, you know, losing a lot of points due to, um, you know, due to a problem out of his control. So, you know, if he'd have finished, if he'd have finished race fifth, he would have extended his lead to 50 points, as you kind of alluded to. Now it's down to 21. So uh, Pato's kind of strong finish allowed him, allowed him to jump Dixon into second of the championship. So at the moment, kind of basically it looks like Pato is obviously the closest person to Alex and Pato needs to outscore Alex by 5.5 points per race now over the last four races to win the championship. So when you put it like that, sounds quite doable, doesn't it? Um, you know, five point five points race. But when we're talking about how close IndyCar is at the minute and how difficult it is to get a win and how difficult it is just to string results together, it's only going to take one big issue for Alex to be in re- really big trouble. And that's just how this season's played out, isn't it? So that's going to be interesting. Um, Dixon, Newgard and Ericsson are all in, in with a shot, but their points per race needed to kind of jump Alex below, you know, goes up quite significantly. So Dixon needs to outscore Alex by nine points. 
New Garden needs to start scoring by 14 points per race and Ericsson needs 16 points per race. So I think that's quite a nice handy way to break it down. And obviously, you know, th- those numbers can come down based on different things happening, like ties and stuff like that. But I don't want to get too much into that with four races to go. I don't think there's any point, but that gives you a vague idea of what's needed. And I think, uh, you know, at the minute, I still think Alex is, you know, I think Alex is in with a good chance. If he does have to take the grid penalty at Gateway, that's going to be a big, big blow but he should then get the last three races of the season. You know, they should finish the season without any sort of engine trouble after that. So it should be, uh, it should be okay after that. I think one thing that's worth noting just before we move on to the next topic is as far as engine mileage goes, the teams are really tight on engine mileage. Just everybody is really tight on engine mileage over the course of the year. Uh, I was at the AJ Foyt test after mid Ohio with Tatiana Calderon and they were they're basically in a position that they haven't had anything crazy go on they've done the same amount basically of in-season testing as everybody else preseason testing in-season testing and they were having to really pay attention to engine mileage because they were in a scenario where basically if they just ran all the laps in practice sessions and the races and qualifying for the rest of the year they were going to be out of miles just based on how the rules are without having anything go wrong so it's in some respects i don't think that we completely appreciate how close the teams are on all of these you know when when you do have little issues throws a major wrench into how you're planning out the rest of your season you know when it happens at places like indianapolis when you're halfway through the year if you have something go a little crooked you know or sideways or whatever in preseason testing or at some test throughout the season um you know teams are really having to manage this which i think is kind of bizarre basically because they're actually, they're getting a ton of mileage out of these engines. They're getting a lot of use out of them. They're, I mean, as, as far as race engines go, you can't, you can't have, you can't like expect much more than what IndyCar teams are doing from Chevy and Honda. So it's really a testament to what the manufacturers have been able to get to at this point. But um, in some, in, I think within the paddock, having stuff like what's going on for Alex, you know, and having guys, you know, dropping grid penalty, you know, uh, grid positions because of engine changes and this kind of stuff. It's, it's not that surprising. So I guess just for the, for the listeners here know that this is, you know, this is something that we might see more of basically before the end of the year, because, because the constraints are so tight. Um, the only, the only other thing I'd like to say just about, about Alex is, I think that his his interview after the race, he always seems sort of upbeat and casual in terms of where he's at and what's going on. And and we talked about that actually after the first race of the year that you know he won at Barber and it just seemed very like he just seemed kind of happy. And the you know the fact that he was racing for Ganassi was not like a high pressure situation. It was that no, I'm driving for the best team now. Like of course this is going to be great. You know, <laughs> like there's no no question in his mind. I mean, I can relate to that a little bit. When I was when I raced in Indy Lights, I joined Andretti Auto or what was Andretti Green Racing at the time, Andretti Autosport, and was just kind of like, yeah, of course we're going to kick everyone's ass next year because this is the best car. You know. Um, so I think that that's, that's always cool to hear because you, I mean, I can, I know just from that experience at the Indy lights level, how good of a feeling that is just to kind of know that you're, you know, they're, they're probably showing up every weekend thinking that if they're not in the top six and qualifying and not on the podium, that that's like a disappointment, you know, and that's not because necessarily it is, or that everybody's actually going to be pissed off, but they just have the expectation because they're, he's on that team that that's where they should be at. And so that. 
I think that my my feeling of it looking from here, you could you could look at this as, oh my God, I just as as a team, as a driver, as crew members, engineers, whatever, you do I need to get into a more of like a defensive mode? They had a pretty good gap on everybody. They were gonna extend that gap. Now everybody, now a bunch of fast guys have you know sort of caught back up. I guess the other way to look at that, that I have a feeling is how at least Alex is looking at it is no, I'm sorry. Like we're still in the points lead with four races to go, you know, like we're, we're the people that everybody else has to beat. We're here because we've been doing a better job than everybody else up until this point. He's been just as competitive over the last few events as he was the beginning of the year. So it's not like he's sort of tailed off um, in terms of his ability to just collect results um sure if they have penalties going forward that's definitely not a good thing uh for his chances but you were talking about just the the points differentials per event to the other guys i mean i kind of sit there and go okay five and a half points to pato has there been a point in the season where over four races pato has gained that much of an advantage on below like i don't i'd be sort of surprised if there was um and then Dixon, he's your teammate, but hasn't really seemed to, you know, it's not like we're showing up to Texas and mid Ohio and, you know, whatever places where you expect Scott to just wreck everybody. Um, so you kind of, I, I think you'd make the assumption that Alex and Scott are going to be pretty close in competitiveness over the rest of the stint over the rest of the run. And then it's sort of same thing with Marcus, just because they're all on the same team. Um, and then with with Joseph, he's basically in a situation that he's got to show up and just win races at this point. So, in the absence of somebody doing that, I think you're still looking pretty good if you're Alex. And that even during periods of the you know periods of the season where drivers have been doing that, Alex has like been sitting there on the podium with them at the end of the race. So it's been like a total, you know, kind of like soul crushing soul crushing wins for guys over the course of the year. Cause it's like, God damn it. I'm not even like making much of a difference here by, by getting out and doing all of the things you need to do. So, um, you know, having, having gone through where everybody's at, I just don't, I don't look at his situation and think it's dire at this point in any respect. And, and I think if it's any time to lose a championship like this for, for Alex, you know, not that I'm wishing that on him at all, but th- this would be the time to do it because they, uh, you know, he's coming to this team. This is his first season with a new team. No one expected him to be a championship contender, really, realistically. Yeah, we can cut him some slack if he doesn't win the championship in his first year at Ganassi. Like, yeah, because we've seen Dixon and Newgarden lose championships like this before, and when they've spent their whole off season, you know, with with their whole life geared towards fighting for a championship, you know, everything has gone into it, and the team. You know, the team turn up at the shop every day knowing that they're that the least is expected of them is to win the championship. And that and that is the mentality that these guys go through every day. And you know, Alex has switched teams in the offseason, getting to know these guys, working with a new engineer, you know, doing all these new things. And you know, I think it's it's surprising. You know, I think I, I've been, you know, of the journalists that cover IndyCar, I think I've been, you know. The, the one that has acknowledged Alex's ability as as well as anyone from knowing him from the past and, and seeing him racing different formulas and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't expect him to win the championship. So I, I think, you know, I, I think there's an element of 
yeah, as you said, cutting him some slack based on, you know, what he's gone through this off season, the changes and, and, and that kind of thing. Saying that next year, that's going to be a different story. It's going to be all of the things that I described. Oh, it's funny that you think about, you know, uh, when I was watching the race and I was basically watching the race and I found myself just, just constantly, and they were, you know, they were mentioning on the broadcast and everything else, but constantly looking at where Newgarden and Dixon were throughout the event, just because they're, they it just in the back of my, in my subconscious are the guys that I still think for whatever reason, even though they're not really the guys that you have to beat right now, to me, they're still just the guys that you have to beat. Like they're the guys that could just, if there's anybody that's going to go on a run and, you know, blow everybody out of the water over the last four events, it's just still seems like it's one of those two guys. And uh, whether that's even really realistic or not, I mean, Dixon has not had the strongest season ending set of events over the last couple of years, but in the, on the flip side of that, there have been other, other seasons where that's how he's won championships is just blowing everybody out of the water at the, at the end of the season. So new garden obviously did that last year and, and came close. Um, it was interesting just tracking the two of their events because it was clear that Joseph actually had quite a bit of pace and, and sort of stole one away really like to stay in the fight to end up, I think he ended up eighth at the end of the race. Um, that's, not, I mean, probably not exciting for him, like not indicative of how good he was. He got run off the road a couple of times through the course of the race. Like he was definitely, you know, you're watching him drive, like he's defending a championship lead basically, uh, which is uh, for where he's at the right way to, you know, the right way to approach it at this stage. Or, but or just trying to avoid being taken out of one. <laughs> that's what, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Like he's, <laughs> he's like, you know, just trying not to get crashed into for the whole start of the race. Uh, but it ended up actually had quite good pace, like made up a bunch of spots on pit exchanges. You know, I, I didn't really get a totally clear perspective on what went, what went down in qualifying for a lot of guys. Uh, it was obviously just super close. So kind of, if you didn't, if you didn't stick the lap and there was some yellow flags and some other stuff that screwed guys out of, out of their times, but, um, Joseph got, Joseph got held up by Hinch in, Oh, that's right. I didn't, I didn't blame Hinch for it, but kind of was like, you know, it's, it's, I should have left more of a gap, but at the same time, a situation where he's just catching a slower yeah. guy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but Scott, Scott was kind of just nowhere for the whole event, which was a little bit of a weird, I, I was surprised by that, that there was no, at no point was there any major movement. You, those guys are so good at figuring out how to, just on through the couple of laps on in laps or out laps and, you know, picking the right undercut, overcut, whatever, or making either of them work basically based on where the cars are that they're around that um, I felt like that was an opportunity for him to, to really close the gap, especially given what happened to Alex in the end and didn't really happen. So it'll be interesting. He's, you know, all of these guys, all of these guys that are in the top five in the championship. And then a few guys that are outside of the top five, Taku comes to mind um are really good at gateway so i you got to figure they're all going to be in the mix i think i think this will be a conversation that i don't think anybody's going to be out of the conversation for uh, you know at least a couple more races well dixon spun didn't he just at the the end of his uh key qualifying lap so he started 26th and then after that was just trying to he tried to he did the opposite to joseph joseph did the long stints and tried to overcut everybody and dixon did the undercuts and tried to undercut everybody and, and both kind of, you know, Joseph definitely ended up in, you know, making that work. But as you said, had the pace because we saw Lungard on the same strategy. They pitted pretty much the same lap each time. And he fell back because of, you know, just because of not being able to hold it up on the blacks, whereas Joseph was. So, that, you know, that was as simple as that, really. Christian Lungard, we should mention, amazing qualifying performance to qualify fourth and, uh, you know, never driven the track before. He'd only done, 
he'd done the GP circuit on an uh, iRacing simulator and that was it before and didn't even do the track walk or anything and just kind of rocked up and, you know, really a bit of an announcement of, of himself into IndyCar, which is nice. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of plays out in silly season. One person who should be in points contention, uh, sort of, but isn't, is uh, Roman Grosjean because I think if you work out his points per race and if you if you're slightly lenient towards him, and give him two races for the Indy 500 double points, that would put Roman fifth in the points. So I think that's fair. Double points is effectively two races. So I think that's a fair thing. I don't think I'd be too nice to Roman there, but that would put him fifth in the standings on, on his kind of average points per race score. Obviously he had to use, as we mentioned before, a lot of push to pass to, to get into position. So I don't think it was outrageous that he didn't win the race based on that. You know, he had to, he wouldn't have been second if he hadn't have used all the push to pass. So it's one of those things where it's just a, a chicken and egg situation, but we, we can't really move on to, to speak to Pato without kind of addressing that this is going to be Roman's oval debut. Definitely go back and listen to the podcast episode that we did. I think it was two episodes ago where he kind of talked about his oval test and what he was expecting from gateway. Um, how much confidence do you think last weekend's race albeit on a road course, obviously, but a good performance will give Roman going into that oval round. Uh, it can't be a bad thing, can it? It's not a bad thing, but I honestly don't think it has much impact on how he feels going into this weekend. I think he know he, he talked to us about it. He's been very frank in other interviews about this being just completely different cup of tea for him. And then uh, that's, as a driver, it's the truth. Like even when you're racing full-time, when you switch up from events like this, it's a completely different mindset that you go into the next event with you kind of know in the back of your mind that your competitiveness in the previous event doesn't really translate to where you're at here. Um, I was bummed to see that he did, you know, Roman did get caught out by a particularly long first pit stop there. They had a, they, because they, they just had it on the broadcast. So we got to see it happen that they were late getting the car um, on the air jacks. And um, you know, that's going to, those are the types of things that he definitely needs to go right for him at gateway because he's going to have to be, making up some of the slack, you know? And so, um, I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful that the car feels good for him there and that he just has a good experience. Cause I think that that's, that's really what this is about for, for Roma at this point is just getting, getting through all the laps, getting used to the in and out laps when it's kind of under pressure and they matter. That's that even all by itself is something that you just, it's hard to simulate on a test day or even in practice. Uh, gateway is a particularly tough place from that perspective. Uh, the, both the in-lap, you know, the pit out and the pit in are both pretty sketchy. Like they're tight and the pit in get is like a decreasing radius pit in to, to where the, you know, barrels are. So that's a place that's, you know, caught really good oval drivers out, just getting locked up, rear, rear lock up, coming to the pits, all this kind of stuff. So a lot for him to take in, I think, you know, the, the last event was, I, I expected nothing less of, of Roman at the end. It's still awesome to see. I, I feel like probably there, I'm sure there was a little bit of push to pass that he overused just because he had in the back of his mind, I'm not going to get screwed by being stuck in traffic. You know, like I did the last time I have to imagine there's a little bit of that going on. Um, he was so good on the brakes. It's still, it's, it's, it's interesting to see it's, it's, I feel like it's rare that you, that I'm sitting there even as a driver watching a race and that you can really pick out that there's anybody that's doing anything from a driving style perspective that's different enough that it's that obvious. And he's just so confident to go super deep. You know, it's just, it was, it was interesting to, it was cool to see that, that 
you get to, and, and IndyCar is good for that too, that, you know, the cars are a little more raw than in F1 or, or other places that, you know, it's not just the car doesn't just like come to a halt instantly, you know, as soon as you touch the brake pedal, like it seems like it does in F1 sometimes. Um, but it's just, it's great to see his confidence building. I hope this is a, uh, I've become a Rogro stan over the course of this year, just watching him and we've gotten to talk to him a couple of times. So I hope the weekend goes well for him. I'm definitely interested just to, to sort of see his process, uh, and, and taking it in and, and, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, he's, if he comes back and does this full-time next year, I see no reason why he won't be a championship contender unless, unless the oval thing is, is, you know, is more of a, an adjustment than, you know, than maybe it seems like it might be. Luckily there's still so few kind of ovals on the calendar. We're not expecting it to be, you know, hundreds more next year so um it's it's it still should next year be quite a small element of his championship push if he does do the full season which we are expecting him to do so i think that sums up indy quite well hopefully um without further ado let's cross over to old ninja hands himself the uh two-time race winner this year and title contender pato award Pato, thanks for joining us on the Race IndyCar podcast. I think one of the highlights of the weekend for me was hearing you say that on your qualifying lap, you'd risked it for the biscuit, which goes down as one of the best quotes of the year, I think. That was a pretty enjoyable one. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a cool weekend for us. I think, um, you know, pole was something that we were not expecting, to be fairly honest with you, uh, considering where we were a few months ago here at Indy Road Course. Um, I think we did some some pretty massive gains in terms of pace. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, <laughs> we, I wasn't really expecting pole. I was expecting, you know, I think we had the chance to be within the top five, but we all saw how, how tight it was. I think I'm just one of the only ones that actually nailed the lap. So that, that actually gave us a chance to be on pole. But um, I had a look at all the theoreticals and I was like sixth or seventh best. So in a perfect world, I shouldn't have been on pole. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a positive at least. Let's uh, let's get into the weekend a little bit. And I guess you kind of touched on it there. Obviously, your your kind of Indianapolis road course race earlier in the year didn't really go to plan and, and neither did the qualifying, as you, as you kind of mentioned. And leaving this weekend now, you've kind of basically halved the deficit in the championship to to Alex Polo. So that's got to be a positive, but I, I guess I'm kind of interested in how you look back on the weekend because in many ways, you know, you were on pole, so you had a chance to win there and maybe even take, take the championship lead. So how do you kind of interpret the success of the weekend? Was it, you know, a bit of a, you know, a bit of sweet one in that sense? Yeah, I think it was really good for us in terms of championship points. Um, to be fairly honest, I, I consider us very lucky. Um, you know, it was very unfortunate for Alex to have his engine issue, but that's honestly the only reason why we actually got to cut in into the championship more than what we were. We were 49 points back. Now we're 21 points back. Uh, but before that point, Alex was in front of us. So we were going to lose even more ground than, than what we were at. So um, that's where my point of, of just, you know, we were lucky. Uh, we've had very unlucky weekends in, in other points of the season. I, I think Alex has been, uh, you know, has been pretty spot on all year. And this is his kind of first race where things didn't go his way. And man, I mean, that's going to be racing. There's no way someone can go 
one full championship with everything going perfectly. Um, so it helped us this weekend. But I think we, you know, in the back of our heads, we know that we, we have to get better. We have to improve because those the, the Ganassi guys have been have been on it. If they're not on it with Palau, they're on it with Dixon. If they're not on with Dixon, they're on with Palau or Marcus. So like, yeah, we're we're kind of in a Ganassi sandwich currently. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, Pato, I mean, I, I personally really appreciated your point of view just in the sort of exit interview um, on, on TV at the end of the race, like just the honesty about where you felt like you were at and, you know, what you're telling us now, just in terms of, you know, you kind of getting lucky in terms of the actual result there. Um, I'm interested, you know, you've talked just a minute ago about Ganassi kind of them really being strong every weekend. When you compare yourselves as a team, particularly to them, where do you feel like there's room to improve? You know, do you feel like you can match their pace at the remaining races? Um, you guys have been probably among the top three teams weekend to weekend, the hardest to judge where you're going to be at. I feel like you've had, you've obviously had some incredible races and you guys have been the the guys to beat um, occasionally throughout the year, but what do you think you guys, where, where do you guys feel like you need to make that step to, to have the consistency that Ganassi in particular has been showing? Yeah, I think, man, it's all in, um, in being able to make the, the tires last. Um, I know everybody hammers me that I'm terrible on tires and blah, blah, blah. But to, to be fairly honest, you know, Felix came from a Ganassi car. And we're all very well aware that our car is is not nice on tires. I think we're we're getting better, but you know the the, the way that you drive an oval obviously is is different to how you drive a road course. But you know I think our package in ovals is certainly stronger um, compared to our road course, just in terms of actually being able to stay on pace, push the car, hustle the car, but not kill tires. And that's something that we don't have in road courses. Um, and that's something that I see with the Andretti cars, with the Ganassi cars, the Penske's. They're able to, to really push and hustle the car. But the way that the, that, the tire, that the car uses and extracts the time and the life of the tire is just nicer. And, and we, we really use it. Um, so I feel like that's where in qualifying, you know, we're strong, but sometimes we have to take it down a notch and we just don't have the rhythm because we need to take care of the tires a little bit more extra than others. Um, so that, that, that's where we've been really working on it. Just, just trying to, to maximize our stints and not hitting that cliff, uh, especially, you know, whether there's rear limitations on reds or, um, just really trying to keep them alive because I mean, man, you're a driver, you know, if, if once you hit that cliff and, and you have like six laps to go, there's so much time that you can lose and there's no way of recovering it. Um, so I think that's where Ganassi is like really, really strong. Um, and that's where, where I think we're at a deficit right now. And, and I think we're, we've certainly improved, but we're not, we're not there yet. And it's so competitive that you just, I mean, if you're not on it perfectly and you don't have the, the stints to, to really, 
you know, get track position, you're just, you're not going to get by people or you're not going to catch them. Yeah. Well, so I want to dig into that a little bit more. So, you know, people have been, been talking all year for good reason about, you know, you having such fast hands and basically being able to drive a car that's really on the limit. Um, you know, you see it in qualifying, like you're saying, you've seen it in qualifying you know, at the end of the race in Detroit, being able to really take advantage of like a positive car that fires the tire up and, and all this kind of stuff. You've obviously mentioned some of the, some of the downsides to that just as a driver, you know, I feel like, you know, when you're in Indy lights or when you're, you're just in sprint races, you're, you're, I mean, if, if you're the guy with the fastest hands in the field and you can deal with the car being loose, like more often than not, you just end up being the fastest guy to the end of the race. And it kind of doesn't matter in, in the Indy car, like you're explaining when you've got teams out there that, okay, maybe they're a tiny bit off on outright pace, but they're able to keep, make the tire last and get through the stints better and really master that part of it. I mean, how much of an adjustment has it been for you just having to really pay attention to that? You know what really helped me um, kind of like um, try to kind of not perfect the approach, but it, it just try and, 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 and kind of simulate what I've done before is in IMSA, in, 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 in endurance racing, you, you can't be at 100% every single lap. Um, you have to be quick, but you have to look after the tires, don't slide them. Um, don't have any lockups because, man, if you have lockup in the beginning of the stint, you are, I mean, you're going to be trash. So I think my, my IMSA year in, in 17 uh, helped me with that. Um, but I think it's still something that, that I can still improve on. I can still get better at. Um, you know, there's obviously many things that, that I just I, I want to improve on uh, to, to try and help myself, try and help the team. Um, but there's been certainly times where I feel like I've done a pretty much a perfect job. I didn't slide the car in the race, no nothing, and it's just not there. Like we we just we still yeah. kill tires, and 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 that's where it's like, oh man. I mean, we we have to do something else than just the driving aspect. Like there has to be something that we have to do with the car, because I mean, and I see other guys like Heard, uh, Rossi, uh, Dixon. I mean. And in, in even talking to Felix, and Felix is like, man, Dixon, I know they say that he he's a great tire saver, but the guy is hustling the car the whole race. He's sliding around or, I mean, it's it, it just seems like we we struggle to do that and keep them alive compared, you know, what they're able to do. They're, they're still able to hustle the car, but actually save the tire a little bit more. Um, so I think that's something that I think I've gotten better at, but I think as a team, we have to work on it. I, th I think Pato, it's worth, it's worth kind of pointing out at this point, anyone who's come into the podcast, who maybe hasn't followed, you know, the absolute intricacies of the IndyCar season, but obviously, you know, the, the setup direction of the car and the development is all done, you know, before the season starts. So when you come to the season with a car, that's, you know, maybe a little bit more unpredictable and, uh, you know, a little bit more difficult to handle. It's not always simple as changing the front wing or changing the rear wing or, or something like that, because, you know, that affects the whole impact of the car if we're putting it quite simply. So, you know, like you've said to me earlier in the season, it's, it's a case of, you know, you, you don't necessarily always like to have a particularly oversteery car, but it's just a, you know, a, a result of the car that you've got underneath you and you trying to, you know, extract the maximum out of it. So I think maybe there's maybe just a, 
a kind of fundamental misunderstanding maybe of what's you know what you're doing in the car and what you like from the car and you kind of driving around the car and also I think for the people who understand what's going on that's what makes you know some of your performances this season even more impressive and you know we've seen Zach Brown you know be very happy with you and call you the young Montoya and things like this you know I think that's one of the reasons why you're, you're getting some of this praise and it's good to hear a little bit of your breakdown about some of the things you've been doing to to try and improve on that as well but just touching on McLaren Pato I wanted to ask you about the the McLaren aspect of taking a majority ownership in the in the team and you know you've kind of become the face of this team very quickly over a, you know a short period of time and you know on the track and you know you know obviously your performances have given the fans a lot to to enjoy but off the track you know everyone likes your character as well and you know uh, I think the fans really react to to your kind of fun and uh, kind of positive outtake on everything um you know does that add any extra pressure on you or or any extra accountability or is it a case of being in this position is what you've always dreamed of and, and what you've always wanted as a as a driver um man i think it's it's great for the future of the team to have um you know zach in the head of it i mean i think what he's been able to do with the formula one team is is pretty impressive in a, in a matter of years um and I mean, and, and the guy's a racer. The guy wants to win. Uh, we've proven that that we've we've improved as a team this year. Like we, you know, we're we're race win we're we're race winners now. Uh, we're we're contending for you know we're championship contenders, um, and we we just we all as a group think that this is the the right path to to try and and, and really take it to the Ganassis and the Penskis and the Andrettis every single weekend. Because one thing is to do it you know, three or four or five weekends out of the, out of the year, but to do it every single weekend in every single type of racetrack is, is definitely what makes it so tough and what makes the series so tough. Um, but man, I think it's great. I think it's great that, uh, that, w- that we're going in this direction and, and, um, and I have a lot of faith in the group. I mean, there's a lot of very smart people, um, and, and it's nice because it feels like we're all rowing and pushing towards the same side. You know, it's not like, I don't feel like I had, like I'm carrying everyone, you know, everyone is, is carrying their own, their own side. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's, that's visible. Um, it's just, it's, it's really nice to be able to rely on, on a team that, you know, maybe whenever you're not perfect, uh, they will help you. The strategy will help you. The pit stops will help you. Um, you know, not all the not all the job has to be done on track. Um, and it just it sometimes just makes my life a little bit easier because it's it's freaking tough, man. It's really tough this year. So looking ahead a little bit, Gateway's next. Uh, obviously, a track that you had a couple of standout performances at last year seemed really in tune with the car. Um, you know, some sketchy moments on, on outlaps and such that we saw, but, um, you know, that's obviously, it's got to feel good coming into the next race. You guys, like you said, you sort of, you felt lucky coming away from the last one. Uh, we're heading into the home stretch here, going to a track that you've been particularly good at before. You know, I'm sure you guys feel like you've made gains as a team to be even better there. Um, you know, you feel like you can take the fight for the win to New Garden and, and the rest of the guys who have been quick here. And and how do you feel like that can get your kind of final stretch going? Yeah, man, I'm actually really looking forward to this weekend. I think it's going to be a great weekend for us. Um, I enjoy that place. And we had a very strong car there last year. Uh, so it, it'd be it'd be really nice to just build on that. And, um, and I think it's going to be great for us. I mean, uh, we... We have some good tracks coming up. 
Um, I, I do think Long Beach is going to be ruled by, um, you know, like as have you seen in many street courses, the, the Andretti's and the Ganassi's are, are really, really tough to beat around those places. Unless they make a mistake, then we can capitalize. But um, I think the ones coming up, Gateway, um, like I said, I, I have a lot of faith in our in our short oval package. Um, I think Portland's going to be good for us. I think Laguna is going to be good for us. So I think we have a good stretch coming up where we can really maximize our package and and take it to them in, in the championship. Um, you know, I, honestly, my, my goal all this year was become a, a race winner, uh, be a contender. But most of all, like when we when I get to Long Beach, I want a legit realistic shot at winning the thing. Um, I think that'd be it's just it. I feel like it's a it's a you know, even if we win it or not, I think it's a big accomplishment to be. I mean, we've been contenders all year. Um, we all want to win it. But if, even if we come out second, I think it's a it's a very big accomplishment that we can build on, you know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, before we let you go, we have to ask on that note, have you let yourself think much about what it would be like to win it? And, you know, sir, you've got an F1 test coming up. You know, what is what kind of impact do you think that would have on on just your trajectory over the next year or two in terms of how things are playing out and, and everything that's going on at McLaren? Yeah, I think... Man, it'd be huge. I'm trying not to think about it as much. I'm just trying to take it day by day, session by session, and just execute when when challenges when challenges come. Um, but it certainly would be like really, really important for not not just for my career, but just personally. I mean, it's 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 it would be a really, really big accomplishment. Um, and if in the future the F1 option comes available. Um, I, I wouldn't feel terrible leaving because I, you know, I'd be able to leave as a champion and, and, and that's ultimately what, what I want to be able to achieve before I even considered leaving, you know? Well, I know there's, I know there's a lot of uh, fans that you've built up really quickly, Pato, and uh, they've enjoyed following your journey and, you know, kind of enjoy your attitude on and off the track. So it's always a pleasure to catch up with you and uh, best of luck for the, for the end of the season. We hope we'll uh, get you back on the podcast soon. Thank you, mate. Thank you guys. No problem. That's all from this week's episode. Please continue to like, subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. We'll be back next week to analyze Gateway, where Pato is hoping to take the points lead. Roman Grosjean makes his debut on an oval and IndyCar goes back under the lights.